0: 51 and a half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. As always, I am your host, John Allen, also known as Spooky Uncle John, and with me is my co host
1: and producer, Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. They can find us on social media at Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and now Hive at the Area 51H. And you can search for us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a half. Don't forget to follow us, like us, subscribe, and share us with all your friends and enemies.
0: Oh, Nick, what is happening with Twitter?
1: It's a mess. It's (laughs) such a mess. Um, I don't
0: even know if if we'll be there forever or not. We'll be there till the bitter end.
1: That's all I've got. I'm going to be there until... Elon Musk either sells it at a loss or it goes under (laughs) because I am I am I am enjoying the drama
0: well aliens uh we are approaching the Christmas season and Nick and I were looking for something unique that we could do for the podcast and so we are here all month long at one of our local Uh, establishments here in St. Thomas, Ontario. All month long, we are podcasting from Lockwood Books at 488 Talbot Street in St. Thomas, Ontario, Canada. You might hear a little mewing every now and then. That is the store cat, Duck. He's such a sweetheart. You will love him if you come in. They have 75% off on some clearance materials. Every Sunday, soft cover books are half priced. Now, if you're looking for a unique gift, Come down to Lockwood Books.
1: I love this place. It's got a real great aesthetic to it. And I absolutely I love the owners, uh, Fletch and Vanessa. They are brilliant.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of those nice old bookshops that we used to see in um, like England, right? Those British types of bookshops that you would expect to see in, in Dickens in A Christmas Carol, right? Yeah. It's just wonderful shelves filled with used books and various antiques, all kinds of things that a, a person could want uh, for a unique Christmas gift.
1: I keep walking in here expecting to see the never-ending story in Oren kicking about. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway.
0: Well, Nick, I hate having to start the show this way, but we have to. Irene Cara, from the well-known 80s singer, has passed away.
1: Yeah, Irene Cara, she did Flashdance and Fame. Mm-hmm. It, it is sad. Uh, she was fairly young as well. Now, here's the thing, though. She leaves behind a heck of a legacy. Because Fame and Flashdance, what a feeling from Flashdance, are both really, really iconic songs from, not just from the 80s, but from two, in themselves, iconic 80s films. Yeah. So that is a sad loss. Um, Yeah, I, I remember as a kid hearing both those songs all the time. I never actually saw either movie until I was older but my mom loved those movies and that song will get played a lot. Yeah,
0: it's coming into my generation. I have so many memories of a flash dance coming out of fame on television and just the, there is a really great sound to a lot of 80s music. Yes. That she was a part of for sure.
1: And you can hear a lot of, um, especially with the synth music, you can hear a lot of the uh, influence in current day music as well, current day pop and current day rock that I, I think we really owe, um, not just to Irene Cara, but definitely she's owed some of that. Yeah,
0: and second to that, I'm going to let you speak to this because I, I, I'll I be honest, I don't know much about it. Power Rangers came out when I was an adult. I didn't watch it.
1: Yeah, but I but I was...
0: recognize the pop culture influence. I recognize the iconography of it. I'm going to let you speak to it.
1: So let's let's talk about this. Uh, Jason David Frank Tommy Oliver the Green Ranger uh, passed away last week at the age of 49 Um, this is frankly devastating to a lot of millennial people I know because he was one of our superheroes growing up and he's been the face of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or the just generally the Power Ranger franchise since he first debuted in 1993 with the rest well he debuted in episode 17. So to kind of go over the importance of Jason David Frank and Tommy Oliver as a as a character, I'm gonna start from the beginning on that one. So he was introduced in episode 17, an episode called Green with Evil, as a villain. He was the main villain, Rita Repulsa's, answer to the Power Rangers. And he was the first villain that came in and laid the smacketh down on the Power Rangers. He took out Zordon, their their big floating head leader. He he uh, took out Alpha 5, the their helper. And he decommissioned the Zords, the, the, the giant dinosaur robots that turned into an even bigger robot. Like, he dealt on their first real loss. Prior to that, it would just be a Monster of the Week thing. Power Ranger would kick his butt. And everyone's good, and off we go. So we get Tommy, and we get this five-part arc where we see this young man who is incredibly charismatic and it it's it when he turns into a good guy at the end of that fight at five episode arc it also doesn't just like it hasn't just changed the scope of power rangers it changes the dynamic as well because you kind of get this double team leader thing with jason and tommy the red ranger and the green ranger absolutely brilliant stuff and he was more powerful than the rest of them um and again absolutely charismatic a hell of a martial artist and you could tell that these guys were having fun as much fun as they could but that's another story on the set of this show now jason david frank kind of stuck with power rangers for a long time way longer than any of the other originals he was in. He was the Red Ranger in Power Rangers Zeo. He well, he first became the White Ranger in Mighty Morphin after the Green Ranger, but that that's a story arc. Um, he was the Red Turbo Ranger. He was in the very first Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. He was in the second Turbo movie, and he was in Dino Thunder as an adult as Doctor Tommy Oliver, uh, as a Black Ranger. So he was in, and he's made all sorts of guest appearances throughout the years on Power Rangers. And he's really, he was really gracious to his fans. There are a lot of Power Rangers fan films out there, and he has been in them. He does that for his fans. Great guy, um, talented guy, and I'm so, so sad to see not just the end of Jason David Frank, but really that is the end of Tommy Oliver, and it, it sucks.
0: Yeah, I, I can tell that you're gutted by that. I'm trying to yeah. relate it to something that would happened to to me in my age. But the, the, the thing is like, this is what I'm talking about when people have asked me, why do you go to the Comic Cons? Why do you collect these autographs? Well, I'm here to tell you, half of the autographs in my book are people who have passed away, Renee Auberjonois, Margot Kidder. I've met them. I've got their autographs. I was able to talk to them. I was able to to go into my childhood. And now people like that, they are gone. Yeah. So you your generation is now starting to experience what I've been experiencing for about uh, ten years now, I guess.
1: Well, and let's talk about that for a second. So as as the uh, as our aliens know, I am a toy collector. I love toys, but surprisingly enough, I don't collect Funko Pops. I know. Don't come for me, please. But I do have one Funko Pop, and that is the Pink Ranger, which is signed by Amy Jo Johnson because my deal was I was going to get a Funko Pop and have of each of the Power Rangers and have them sign it, and now I can't do that. But yeah, that's my own problem.
0: Yeah, but I mean, the, these types of shows, um, they influence us when we're children, and they have such a good message for us. Like for me, G-Force. Battle of the Planets. Yeah. Gachiman in, in Japan. Yeah. This was more than just a your average cartoon because it had drama to it. Yeah. There were there were episodes that were two parts. They were to be continued. You didn't see that in a lot of other cartoons, right? So, so I'm trying to, to liken it, trying to associate myself with what you're feeling. So I can only imagine that what you must be feeling because Casey Kasem, who voiced Mark, as he's known here in North America... When he passed away, I mean, he, all these cartoon voices passed away, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's 100% correct, because like I like I know Casey Kasem obviously won as Casey Kasem, but also he was Shaggy and he was cliff jumper on Transformers. And
0: he was Robin in the Super Friends.
1: Yeah. So and that's really kind of the sad thing is when you lose a celebrity like that, that is an important part of your fandom. I don't want to be dramatic, but it does kind of... Especially when it's a fandom that you grew up on and kind of shaped your taste in things, yeah. it kind of hurts on a deep personal level. Yeah, and level.
0: anything that comes from your childhood is a gut punch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I held on... I personally held on to Power Rangers for a long time. I think I stopped watching it in 99. And then I picked it back up in 2004 when Dino Thunder was on and Tommy was in that, but... Um, yeah, I definitely watched uh, Power Rangers more consecutively than most people do. But it's sad to see him go. I my heart goes out to all the other Power Rangers because with the cons, they become they become kind of like a, a little family. Um, they're always hanging like you see them at cons, are always hanging out, um, and of course his children as well. Who I feel so bad for them.
0: Well, moving on, and speaking of news that is a little surprising to us, I'm going to talk about Chris Hemsworth here for a minute. Oh, yeah. Now, Chris Hemsworth has a series on Disney Plus called Limitless, I believe. Yes. Where he's sort of exploring the limits of of his physicality and challenges and all that kind of stuff. That's my understanding. I haven't seen the show yet, but I will be watching it. That's my understanding what the show's about. While filming this show... He came to the realization that he has precursors to later on in life, possibly developing Alzheimer's.
1: Interesting, really?
0: Yeah, this this is in his genetic makeup and DNA. So it's kind of put Chris Hemsworth on a bit of a midlife crisis introspective, if you will. I'm not yeah. saying like he's going to go, out, go no. out and get a car or leave his wife or anything like that. But he's being very introspective right now. And it's interesting to watch this because a few episodes ago, we talked about Love and Thunder. Yes. And I said how he was an executive producer and we were kind of trying to put the blame on where maybe the missteps were from this. Also, yes. He has come out with a statement that said he will no longer work with mad genius directors.
1: I don't blame him for that. Um, Is there any more to that? Oh, yes. Oh, good.
0: This is interpreted specifically to mean Taika Waititi. Of
1: course, because mad genius.
0: Because here's what Chris Hemsworth had to say, and he's not saying it with any animosity. He's just saying, if I'm going to continue to play Thor, which he would like to do. He's He's for that. Yeah. It can't be okay, we meet Thor, he's a spoiled brat, he loses something, he gets goofy, he does these interactive things, there is no arc, Next, he he progresses within that movie. Next movie, he's right back to being a stooge again. And that's kind of it. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to have that Shakespearean return that we had with Kenneth Branagh directing the first Thor movie. Getting back to seeing this progress, getting him back to being a good leader and not just being this goofy side of him. He said, we've seen that side of him, we love that side of him, but there is more to Thor than that one-dimensional side.
1: Yeah. And that was, I think that was the disappointing part for uh, Love and Thunder for me. I know I said I liked it, but there were still very disappointing parts. And it's just that there wasn't that character development that we saw in the previous movies. Yeah, and
0: as I said, the, the tone that worked in Ragnarok was because things were happening to thor yes like when he goes to beaker street and dr strange is moving things around time and he's leaning against a bookcase that disappears and then he's falling down the stairs and everything that's hilarious not because he's being um, a buffoon but because things are happening to him and that's always been the good comedy of it like when loki turns him into a frog
1: yeah well, and like that's the thing with Thor Ragnarok. A lot of it was, I think, there was a lot of bemusement on Thor's part for what he was going through, and like when he goes, "Yes, it's a friend from work." He, that that's funny to us, but I think that's also a legit reaction from him because he's in this foreign place, he has no idea what's going on, and he sees something familiar, and he's excited.
0: Well, and let's look at what's happened to him. He's coming off the the fact that he has um, lost his mother right you know uh, he hasn't spoken to Jane in
1: a long time. a long
0: long time um, he's not really sure where Loki is mm-hmm. his own brother is not quite sure where he is at that point um, and so he does this return where he goes back to Asgard and finds that Loki has duped him Loki has taken over he's posing as Odin where is our father he has to go and find their father Odin goes off into the ether, a nice kind of a wimpy exit for the great Sir Anthony Hopkins, but still it serves It serves the story. It's nothing to, to be angry about. And then Hela shows up and destroys Mjolnir. Yeah. <laughs> and the sheer aghast, now he has to work with Loki, but Loki is Loki and he's on this distant planet and he wants something familiar. And to your point out comes the Hulk. Yeah. So these things all work because, again, the comedy sits there and some of the comedy is quite reliant because, again, it, things are happening to him. We have Jeff Goldblum who is doing this gleeful, like, I, I'm i just, I've gone mad with power. I'm drunk with, with my station here in life on this planet. I have a ship that if you hit a button, it goes, it's my birthday and fireworks go out. <laughs> and he's just this sort of big man child that Thor doesn't know what to do with and then you have that uh, cameo by Stan Lee where he's gonna give Thor the new haircut
1: yeah like that's the thing is like Thor can't believe this stuff is happening to him. I mean here's the god of thunder who can summon lightning and he still gets electrocuted by some little device they stick on him yeah
0: and you and made the point that uh thor is from basically another planet another realm yep. and he's just trying to figure out earth exactly so i get where chris hemsworth is going with this i love chris hemsworth i've loved everything he's done i appreciate the fact that he is a good comedic actor but to his point look at kevin and ghostbusters again playing another stooge another buffoon You know, there is more to him than this. There's more to Chris Hemsworth than this. There's more to the character of Thor than this. And I'm looking forward to that because I mean no disrespect to Taika Waititi, but somewhere he has lost his marbles and he needs to put them back in the bag because Love and Thunder was the first Taika Waititi project I was not in love with.
1: Maybe a little disrespect. I'm just saying. That's from me, though, not from you. But, and I get what you're meaning. I, I get what you mean. I I was disappointed in him because I, I do, I love mad genius directors. Yeah. Sometimes they get a little too out there, like Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam can be, like Tideland was a bit much for me. But when they, when they're on point and they're focused, they know what they're doing. And I felt like, as I think I said this before was I felt like Disney gave Taika Waititi the reins, took his leash off or his collar off and went, go.
0: Well, I think what can also happen to, and I'm not not crapping on Taika Waititi. I I love his work. Yeah. Uh, I think he's immensely talented. Yeah, mad genius for sure. But I think that what happens is that you can get caught up in your own importance where he hasn't had a misstep. And so you're not looking at the big picture or the whole picture.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, you know, that's not just him. I see that happen. We see that happen in film and television all the time. I've seen it happen in other mediums as well. Yeah. It's just people need a a, uh, a check. Yeah. They need to be knocked down a couple rungs, and he hasn't been yet. Or so you're yeah.
0: surrounding yourself with people who are not going to say, you know, that's a bad idea. Oh, really? Okay, you're fired. Bye. Just no, Because people like having those high powered high paying jobs uh-huh. and they're not going to sit there i'm not going to walk in there say being hired by let's say old guillermo del toro and then sit there and go uh you know guillermo i don't think you should do that
1: i'd love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation oh, but john you know, you, john allen tells guillermo del toro what for but you know what i mean i like, know
0: what he, you, mean. you know so this this is kind of what happens and then we we get uh we get a misstep now if you loved love and thunder great you loved it we're not here to tell you what to like or what not to like. It was funny. It had good points. It was it was well done.
1: It was. And I, I like. Okay, I have my criticisms. I still enjoy it. Yeah. I'd watch it again. I love the goats, as you know. But it's still not. It's neither Taika Waititi's best work, frankly. And I know people will disagree with disagree with me on this. It wasn't Natalie Portman's best work, and it certainly wasn't Chris Hemsworth's best best work.
0: It wasn't Marvel's best outing. No. And, no. And, and that's still a shame. not the worst.
1: Still not the worst. And that but.
0: that is a shame. Um, speaking of things that are a shame <laughs> that are, are kind of that have unceremoniously, as far as I can say, came to an end. I didn't even know it was. I mean I knew it was happening at some point, but I guess Walking Dead is zombied no more.
1: So let's talk a little bit about that. So this is this is kind of a perfect thing for us to talk about with pop culture because this is this is something that entered the the ethos of pop culture with a bang.
0: Oh, it came in un- unapologetically and with a Oh
1: my God, I remember that. I remember that. I remember watching that first episode and being drawn in, and it was so so good.
0: Yeah. And within that first season, they're killing off main characters. And yeah. You're just like,
1: whoa. Yeah, you just don't know what's happening. And then somewhere along the line, it just became an absolute farce of itself. And it lost its footing in pop culture. Yeah, it had its loyal fans. Obviously, it had its loyal fans because it lasted for 11 seasons. Yeah. But I I personally checked out... Um, properly checked out... I think season 5 is when they did the Term- Terminus thing?
0: Terminus? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know if it was season 5, but yeah.
1: That's where I, that's where I checked out. Now... I tried to get into it again, mainly because Jeffrey Dean Morgan is Negan, because holy crap! But despite that, and frankly, I might give the, uh, the, the spin off a try because Jeffrey Dean Morgan is Negan, but I just couldn't get back into it. I didn't care about these characters anymore.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to go with the spin off at all. I, I didn't follow the. Um...
1: The Fear, others, Fear the Walking yeah, Dead. Yeah,
0: I didn't follow Fear the Walking Dead. I watched like the first season of it. And I went, I don't care it about these fine. people. It was
1: it was Walking Dead in L.A.
0: Yeah, I it, it's one of those things where I think one they prolonged it too long, two they be they they strayed from the source material, and it almost feels like the writers knew what the source material was, but they wanted to do surprises for the the faithful readers of the source material, if you will but didn't understand the source material or quite frankly, maybe didn't even read it. We know that Daryl doesn't show up in the comics, but Daryl is a good addition to the cast, you know, but when you have an entire season based around a character that is really not even a second tier supporting character, but a third tier supporting character. And it's this entire Season that doesn't happen at all in the comics. Nothing is happening in the comics. Talking about what I call the hospital season. Oh. You lost a lot of people there. Yeah. Like, a lot. I I wasn't one of them, but I finally did check out. I've got them recorded, but I don't care whenever I get to see them. So, to my point of Walking Dead, Leaving with a Whimper, if you think about a lot of other TV shows oh, this is the final season and this is coming up and we're saying goodbye to say, like, everybody loves Raymond or the final season of uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, the final episode, or no matter what you pick, no matter where you go along the line, it's this great big buildup. And this just went, eh, it's our final season. The final episode happens on Sunday. Uh, peace out. Watch Maggie and Negan.
1: Yeah. So that's that's the other thing, right? Like, they had this, this final episode and I actually had thought it was, it happened a couple weeks ago. I thought it happened last season. Yeah, there you go. I didn't know there was any like there was no build up to it. Um, you're more in touch with cable television than I am. Um, I only have streaming services. But still, there's the internet. There's, there was, I saw nothing about this except for a little bit of chatter on Yeah, like
0: when Walking Dead first came out, there were blankets and there were toys and there was the, uh, people who hadn't heard of the, the comic books. Yes, and you can walk into any pop culture store or comic book and it was Walking Dead everywhere. And now, 11 seasons later, maybe a decade or so later, people who have grown up with Walking Dead on Sunday night are just like,
1: wait, wait it's done? Yeah.
0: When, when did that happen?
1: Did you know there's actually another spinoff?
0: Um, yeah, there's like internet stuff. And no,
1: there, there's this, there's a Terry Crews is actually has been in it. Oh my gosh! Um, it's, yeah, I yeah, I, I, yeah. I do know something about it. Don't I didn't know I didn't know that until recently. I'm like I didn't even hear about this.
0: Yeah, I I just felt like it didn't deserve to go out with that kind of a, a whimper. And whatever happened to the movies that they were supposed that's to be still, making with Andrew still, Lincoln?
1: That's still coming down the pipeline. Okay, um,
0: um how many years later?
1: Well, it's supposed to be happening soon. I don't know if uh production's finished on it or not, but I know they've at least filmed it. Andrew Lincoln
0: left Walking Dead
1: to do these a, movies a
0: good 5-6 years ago now.
1: Was it that long? Yeah, it was definitely Time goes
0: by quick, man.
1: It was definitely post-pandemic. Yeah. No, pre-pandemic. Um, pre, sorry, pre-pandemic. Sorry. Yeah. It was pre-pandemic. I remember that, but I that's a while ago and yeah. the movie should have been made by now. Now, I know that um, Danai Greer has been doing a lot of other things. Sure. And she's supposed to be in these movies, so whatevs. But yeah, like if... I feel like what they might be doing... But here's the thing is they need to release this movie this summer. Is when Next Generation ended. Um, the, the, the two-part series finale was not the series finale. Star Trek Generations was the series finale. And that's what the, if that's what they're doing with The Walking Dead and this movie is going to be the series finale? Fine. Whatever. But make it soon. Yeah. I will I will honestly go back and rewatch this series if they bring out that movie cuz I would like to see how that goes.
0: Yeah, I think that you can really lose your fan base by delaying things by not paying attention. I mean, obviously obviously there was enough people watching it that they continued the way they were. But everybody that I know that was watching it with me, I was the last person watching it.
1: So you're saying that by delaying the release of something, they can really lose their fan base. Hi, Avatar 2. How are you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway.
0: Okay, Nick, before we get to our main topic, I want to remind our aliens that we are podcasting from Lockwood Books at 488 Talbot Street, St. Thomas, Ontario, Canada, where you can come in and get the most unique gifts this Christmas season of used, old, antique, hard to find books. It's an, it, it's an amazing shop. I wish our aliens could see it.
1: Honestly, I love this because we're literally beh- hiding behind stacks of books while we record this. There's that many books. We're just hiding behind a stack. It's yeah, amazing. it's
0: a dream. It's the kind of library that uh, book enthusiasts envision having in their house
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: well folks unless you've been living under a rock you know that the long anticipated adams family spinoff wednesday has dropped on netflix and we are here to discuss it but first here is your spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler Spoiler alert. alert Spoiler alert spoiler, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. alert. We had to do that. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nick, nobody, I, I i would challenge anybody to be almost a bigger Adams Family fan than myself.
1: If anybody said that to me, that they were the biggest Addams Family fan ever, I'd slap them and tell them, no, they're not, because I know John Allen. <laughs> All right, before, before we get into this, I just want to preface, I've only seen the first two episodes. So I can't speak to the overall integrity of the show. So I'll leave that more to you. I'll just ask questions. Oh yeah, I,
0: I binged watched the thing. Like, yeah.
1: Boom. Yeah, I kind done. of I fi- figured you would.
0: Yeah. So I have obviously been waiting to talk about the Adams family. Obviously. Yeah, because I, as I've said before, and I'm not bragging. Don't come for me. I'm not bragging about this, but I love the fact that I got to play Gomez Adams once.
1: I mean, how could you not? I that's, mean, that's so cool.
0: It was just fantastic. So, I mean, I did a lot of digging into the history, you know, uh, when it was first created, Charles Adams' intent, the whole thing, you know. And it's it's really interesting to watch the Adams family evolve, if you will. In some ways good, in some ways not so good. But let, we're here to talk about Wednesday, not the whole Adams yeah. family lore. Yeah. So I have to say this, right out of the gate. Jenna Ortega not only nails it, she built a house on it. She knocks it out of the park. It is a home run. She understood the character. She nailed
1: Wednesday Adams. Jenna Ortega understood the assignment. Um, Absolutely. She, the look was there. Her, the way she talked, her mannerisms, everything was spot on. Spectacular
0: job. A plus 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 for Jenna Ortega as
1: Wednesday Adams. And I have to say, I absolutely adored the introduction to Jenna Ortega's character uh, Wednesday in this series with the with the uh, piranhas. The, the piranhas in the pool. Yeah, that was so Adams, so Wednesday, so Wednesday. Um, so
0: so here's here's the basic plot, folks. Um, Wednesday has always been an outsider yes she is not fitting in at the nancy reagan high school that of they are going not. to because why would an adams fit in in normal school so the uh, uh, gomez and morticia decide that they are going to send her to the nevermore academy where they went to school and in this iteration met we'll get into canon quote unquote air quotes later Um, but we'll talk about this right now. Um, while she's there, she becomes embroiled in a mystery that involves her parents. And there is a monster running around in the causing havoc in the normie town of Jericho outside of Nevermore. And they're blaming Nevermore. And I would like to say hilarity ensues, but this is more drama than it is funny. The dark humor is still there, but not to the extent of the movies or the um, original sitcom. So, supporting her is Gwendolyn Christie as Principal Weems. Oh my God, Gwendolyn Christie is just beside herself being part of the Adams family. You have no idea. I've seen some interviews that she's she's done. She is excited by this character for a couple reasons. One. She grew up with the Addams Family, same as everybody else. Yeah. So think about the, the, her career. She has been in Game of Thrones. She's been in Star Wars. She is now in the Addams Family. The lady is nerding out. She yeah, loves totally. it. But the other thing is that Tim Burton gave her a lot of input and free reign into it. How do you want to play this character? How do you want to, to, to be presented? And she had this idea of... Of going back to the Hitchcock blonde and yeah. being very statuesque, yeah, and, and you see that, yeah, and being very regal and beautiful. And she gave this interview where she said, "This is the most beautiful I've ever felt and looked on screen because yeah. she is a very tall woman. She's, she's a
1: very t- tall woman. And she's, uh, like if you look at Brienne of Tarth, Brienne of Tarth was played up as an absolute tank of a woman. Yeah, um, but like anybody that's seen Gwendolyn Christie outside of she, that role, she is
0: a, she is a regal." beauty. Yeah, she's, she's unconventionally attractive. She
1: she's, she's a goddess, that's what she yeah. is.
0: And um, so but but to to feel that vulnerability and to hear her say these words really, you know, i, I it made my heart feel good for her that yeah, she was able too. to have this wonderful experience and she talks about a- acting with Christina Ricci like, oh, you know how good it was because she is the quintessential Wednesday. Let's look at Wednesday for a minute. Okay. Start with Lisa Loring. She's our introduction to the character. Yes, of course the cartoons are, but I mean being played out, being
1: played so in, we, as an actual character on screen. Yes. yes.
0: So we see Wednesday as a child. Yeah. And then we we see Wednesday as a older child through Christina Ricci, and yes. also um, that tween kind of um, stage in life. Yeah. And so now we get Wednesday as a full on teenage girl. Who is struggling with the fact that she is basically a young adult, um, that she has thoughts of her own, that she has ideas of her own, that maybe she's a little uncomfortable with being around her parents.
1: And, and that's really one of the interesting things because it's, it's not just a case of here's Wednesday dealing with being a teenager, here's Wednesday dealing with being a teenager as an Adams. Yes. And that, that's a whole other thing. Yeah,
0: so it, it's really very interesting to watch that. You would think that because she did such a bang-up job, you would think that she and Christina Ricci had these really good sessions of introspection and in the character and everything like that, and the interviewer saw with Jennifer Ortega is like, nope.
1: And it's really interesting, because I, I had the chance to ask uh, Sean Astin, who whose dad played uh, yeah. the original Gomez. Yeah, John Astin, um, yeah. Sean Astin played uh, Raphael in the Ninja Turtles cartoon 2012 against uh, Paul, uh, Paul Robson, who played Raphael in the 80s. And I asked him, so was there ever, like, any, any point where he's like, uh, d- you should play him this way? He's like, no, not at all. And it's, it's interesting, like, how you have these actors who, you have a younger version against one who's played the original and how the original is courteous enough and professional enough to let that younger person go with it.
0: Yeah. And you know, and you watch the fact that Tim Burton as a director, I mean, both Gwendolyn Christie and um, Jenna Ortega have both said that it was really this wonderful collaboration and Tim Burton just lets you go and do your thing. Yeah. You know, like he, if he has to, he will come in and say, well, we need to do this. We need to do that. But they said, let's try it this way. Let's try it that way. Let's try it this way. And whatever they decide is the best is what they use. So, it's, it's kind of wonderful to watch that with these two actresses who play opposite each other quite a bit. I'm talking about Gwendolyn Christie and, and Jenna Ortega. Yeah. Um, have this experience together of, which um, happens a lot with young women that you and I as men and young men didn't really have that same dynamic with older men that they have, where you have this this woman who has a certain amount of life experience interacting with a younger woman who is having a different life experience and trying to impart that wisdom and
1: and you also have that aspect of wednesday where she's like she thinks she's figured things out yeah but one of the other things is i love about it i love the visual stuff because if you look at uh gwendoline christie and you look at jenna ortega as wednesday they are legitimately visual opposites yeah you have Gwendolyn christie Who is in all white and blonde and super tall? You have Jenna Ortega who could fit in my pocket. Yeah, she's teeny tiny. She's wearing all black. She's dour. Like I love that kind of of play up of of the visual aspect. And and to
0: give you an idea of how petite she is, I saw her on Jimmy Kimmel, and the chair just swallowed her. It's like it's. She's twenty years old, but it's like this little kid kind yeah. of thing in there, right? I just think she's a doll. I mean, she's she's absolutely adorable.
1: And and between this, between this, um, between Scream Six and between or Scream Five and eventually Scream Six, and between X, this girl is eating the genre alive. Yeah, just the horror genre and the horror esque genre. She is just eating it, and she, I love it. She
0: is supremely talented. And let me get this out of the way. The most, to me, one of, it's all over the internet right now, one of the biggest moments in Wednesday was the Goo Goo Muck dance at the Ravens Ball. I was mind blown by it in its choreography to begin with, and then I found out Jenna Ortega did her own choreography. I know,
1: I know, oh my god, that's amazing, that is so
0: impressive. Um, And she hit all the notes. Like, she she brought in, like, the the goth scene. She brought in Fosse. It's very quick, and I want to just just put a grapefruit in the editor's face. Um, You have to, you blink, you miss it. mm -hmm. But there's a moment where she does Lisa Loring's dance when she's trying to teach Lurch how to dance. And they they cut it so quick that you barely see it. But it's a nice Easter egg in there.
1: So some sharp-eyed guy on the internet saw that, yeah, and he made something that I thought was absolutely brilliant. It starts off with the Lisa Loring dance, and then it cuts right into the Wednesday dance when she's doing the same movement. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, that is so good. Yeah, the Jenna Ortega dance. Yeah, when she's doing the same. Movement. Oh man, but that was cool. I love. I'm gonna th- have to. Can you send me that? I'll rank? see if I can find yeah. that again.
0: I, I would love to see that. Um, another person I want to talk about that I think really understood the character um they didn't give them the lines to necessarily support her we'll discuss that a little bit later but Catherine Zeta Jones as Morticia
1: oh Catherine Zeta Jones
0: oh she is beautiful as Morticia now it's such a different tone okay the scripts are different so it's hard to compare her to uh Angelica Houston yeah so what we have here, I feel, is kind of a mashup of Carolyn Jones and, and Angelica Houston, and boom, that's how you get Catherine Zeta-Jones. Because there is that, that darkness, that just that kind of way that Catherine Zeta-Jones is holding herself similar to the way that Angelica Houston held herself just not moving and this grace and almost demanding that you notice and look at her in all this regal beauty.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. There is some there is some in, intense regality to Katherine Zeta-Jones and that that is something that's not just confined to this role. Every role she's had since she since she made it big in Hollywood has had that sense of regality to it. And she pulls it off so beautifully.
0: Yeah, and the costumes by Colleen Atwood. This, it, it's so subtle and it's so wonderful because I'm so happy for goth cosplay girls now because they don't have to wear just the, the typical Wednesday dress with the white collar. Oh, they got choices. They, the, the school girl, girl uniform, the casual look, it's, just, it, it's all working.
1: I love that they had to specially make her her school uniform for so because she's allergic to colors,
0: <laughs> and it's brilliant to see that yin and yang with her roommate Enid, who yes, is just I a love, unicorn of color. I
1: love Enid. I, I, I like the I like the dynamic between the two of them, but I really dig Enid. Yeah, um,
0: but she's a great character. Um, and again, like I, I want to talk about the positives before we get into the negatives. Um, so we again another positive I thought that she all of the kids played their roles very well um Bianca the the siren just a beautiful girl yeah she she knows that character that they gave her they nailed it we see that arc throughout the the show where you start off as an enemy you become a frenemy you become a friend yeah you know it. I thought that that was really kind of inspired writing in a way
1: yeah I I agree with that um For, like, I've had some time to think about what I've seen, and for the most part with the characters, honestly, I really do dig a lot of the characters that I've seen so far. Um, But there are, as you said, there are some negatives.
0: Yeah. One thing that isn't a negative, though, again, see, this is where Burton gets smart. He usually brings in Colleen Atwood. Who else has he brought in? Danny Elfman to do the score. If anyone was made to write music for Tim Burton movies, it is Danny Elfman.
1: Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> I, I I really, like, I can't think of a single Danny Elfman score. Not just t- Danny Elfman, Tim Burton score, but Danny Elfman score where I'm like, yeah, this is crap.
0: Yeah, because he gets the emotion of what's going on, right? Yeah. Like, If you look about it at his score with Edward Scissorhands... That's that's one of the most beautiful scores ever. Where you have that that softer, melancholy sadness in the appropriate scenes.
1: Spider Man. Yes. the 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 score from Spider Man. He approached that in a way like if you look at it, that is his version of Superman. But it's very you have those tr- those kind of triumphant trumpet sounds, but it's also very melancholy as well because. Spider-Man's not Superman. Spider-Man often blames himself for a lot of what happens to him and the people around him, and you get that feeling in the music for Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, and look at his scores for the the Tim Burton Batman movies. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I
0: mean, you. I said years ago. I actually said that his music from Edward Scissorhands, from Batman Returns, not the Batman theme, but you know some of the music in there. Um, Makes this wonderful dark kind of Christmassy sound to it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you want something a little different that still feels like the season but also feels like the dark time that we're in between Sam Hain and Yule, it's perfect music.
1: Nightmare Before Christmas is the perfect thing to watch between Halloween and Christmas because you've got obviously visually. But also, all of the music as well. Yeah, and, and that he that's captures how it, that. Yeah,
0: that is exactly how I kick it off movie watching season between the two. Yeah, exactly. I, I, end, how- my, I end my Halloween season with, and begin my Christmas season with Nightmare Before Christmas.
1: Yeah. Um, Scrooge. Scrooge's another mm-hmm. good one. And it's got those very familiar Danny Elfman sounds, you know, the la 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 la. Yeah, la, yeah, la. yeah. I love that stuff. But yeah, he, he's great. And I think
0: he was the first one to really do that.
1: Um, I would have to think so, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but yeah.
0: No, I'm not 100% on that, but I mean...
1: He definitely um, made that a very uh, iconic thing. In yeah, the, there's in a lot movies. of imitation now. Yeah. Um, and of course, he, he did the voice of Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, he, well, did, the the singing, singing voice, he did the singing voice. the singing voice, voice I'm yeah. Sorry, It's actually kind of funny, because whenever I hear Ongo Boingo come on on Spotify for me, I imagine it's Jack Skellington <laughs> singing. <laughs> But anyway.
0: Also, uh, oh, we digress. Um,
1: look, let me just say one thing about Tim Burton. It, we, it's no secret I'm not a big ter- Tim Burton fan. And, and I am. Are. And you are. I used to love Tim Burton, but he's kind of fallen off a favor with me. But if there's anything I can say about him that he's still spot on with, it's his casting decisions. I think he is fantastic. If you look at some of his... Um, let's stay away from uh some of his bigger movies and look at something a little more um off to the side like sleepy hollow right sleepy hollow was beautifully cast because it was cast in a way that it reminded me of an old school hammer
0: horror. yeah film. sleepy hollow was his love letter to hammer
1: oh it's beautiful
0: and he even has michael goff in it who yeah. was and christopher lee from hammer
1: yep yeah, um, I love I love that film. I try to watch that every oh, at least every Halloween, if not a couple times a year. But um, but you know what? The fact that you're bringing this up actually helps us segue into
0: what's not working for Wednesday.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the problem here is all the casting decisions for Wednesday didn't necessarily work, and you and I both agree on at least one of them.
0: Okay, I need to preface this. This is such a hard topic to have. So let me preface this this way. Okay? Adam's family history goes back a long, long way. They have ancestors who are cavemen. Mm -hmm. They have ancestors who are conquistadors. They have ancestors who are Vikings. The Adams come from
1: all over the world.
0: They've been here since the dawn of time being weird. So... The reason, the only reason I'm bringing this up, okay? Don't come for me. It's just because it is a topic of conversation out in the real world, and we have to have it here. Charles Adams, when he did the original cartoon strip, did not make the Adams family Latina. Okay, okay, no, just... Bear with me, folks. Bear with me. In the sitcom, a writer writes an episode called Art and the Adams Family where they are looking to get Grandmama some art lessons. They are trying to find Pablo Picasso and they wind up with Sam Picasso. Of course. Gomez makes the comment about calling back to their ancestral home, Spain. Right. At the end of that episode, the writer has made their ancestry, their direct ancestry from Gomez Adams, Castilian Spanish. My understanding is that is different from Latina. That from, Latino, Latino. Yeah. That... Spanish is Spanish and Puerto Rican, Mexican and all that kind of stuff is, is a little different. That's coming from an interview that I saw this afternoon talking to a girl who is Latino and worships Wednesday. Right. And she has said that. Okay. So I'm taking it from that source that Castilian Spanish is, that's a Spaniel and Latina is something different. Okay. So we, The reason that we modernly think of Gomez as being Latino Latino is because Raul Julia played him, Raul Julia being a Puerto Rican actor in the movies.
1: Oh God, Raul Julia was so good.
0: Okay. So now we've gone here where Tim Burton has decided to take it one step further and now made the Mexican. (laughs) I don't have a problem with it. I want that to be clear.
1: Yeah, but
0: when we start codifying things, when we start putting into books, if we're going to make this argument, then Louise Guzman was not the choice. You should have gone to Antonio Banderas. You should have gone to Javier Bardem. You should have looked at somebody who, if you're going to lean into that Espanol, who is a Spanish actor, because the thing of it is this. The modern Adams family, John Aston Adams family, have been in America a very, very, very long time. They didn't just arrive here yesterday. Yeah. And so my point is that anybody can play the Adams family. I alluded a couple episodes ago about a Japanese production of the Broadway musical. Yeah. Where are you going to find a Latino actor or a Hispanic actor in Japan to be the Adams Family? Now, case in point, family history. That's Gomez. Yeah. Morticia, the Frumps, are not yeah, her, Spanish or Latina.
1: Yeah, their ancestry goes back to They're, Salem.
0: It goes all the way back to Salem. They're her descended penitence. from witches. They came over on the Mayflower or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, so now you, you're you looking at BIPOC. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because everybody's having these arguments about how it has to be accurate. Fine. If you want to lean into the accuracy, you didn't do it.
1: Uh, so here's my look on it. I, I don't like something like Adam's Family being thrown into a box because it limits who can and cannot play it. Like, you want to do a BIPOC as... Gomez Adams, fine. I don't care. I'm fine with that. You want to do a black guy is faster. Fine. I don't care with that. But you don't narrow them into that, that hole so that someone else, another director can't come along and do the same thing. Yeah.
0: And I think that that's what's happening is that we're seeing that you, you now no longer can. We're, we're drawing these lines in society where it's like, okay, I can't play anything but a Canadian.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where do I stand on that? I'm Scottish. But I'm, I'm Scottish, and I've lived in Canada most of my life.
0: yeah. So you, as an actor, Nick, you can't play anything that except being Scottish. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that we need to get in and start worrying about ethnicities or anything like that. No. I'm, I'm happy for the representation. I'm happy for Jenna Ortega. Yeah, she's she, she's knocked it out of the park. She's a fantastic Wednesday. But the difference that I'm getting at here is that in the '90s, when, uh, when, when it came out. Mm-hmm. We all went to see the Adams family movie, all went to see Adams family values, loved it. Yeah. Nobody at that time ever gave a second thought to Raul Julia playing Gomez Adams. Not a second thought. no it wasn't even brought up.
1: Well and, and that's the thing is I, I think another thing and going back to your idea of Canon is people have gotten so wrapped up in the minutia of things because as it is, we have Christopher Lloyd playing faster who is not. Hispanic in any way, shape, or form. We have Raul Julia playing uh, Gomez. Now, Raul Julia is Hispanic. No, but yeah. n- neither of he's, them... No, he's Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican, sorry. Neither of them... Like, it's it's just a thing in the movie. It's yeah. Just, like, canon doesn't... So, let, I'm going to go over to this. I'm going to go over this. So, watching um, La- Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, he did, um, for the Halloween special, they had Elvira's Haunted Hills on and Cassandra Petis was on the show. That's great. But one of the things that came up in contention online was, why does it make sense that Elvira is in 18th century France in this movie, but in modern day Vegas in the previous? Because it doesn't matter. Yeah. that She's essentially a cartoon character. Yeah. It doesn't matter. No one cares when Bugs Bunny shows up in 18th century uh, Paris. Um going after the Barber of Seville. No one cares that he's in the 1940s kicking a gremlin's butt. So this is the thing. These characters exist in different versions, in different bubbles of their own thing. Think of it as the multiverse in in Marvel where you have multiple versions of Spider-Man.
0: But it gets to my point, and I'm going to say this, and I know that there's a bunch of aliens out there that are not going to agree with me. Canon doesn't exist because Canon is at the whim of the
1: writer. And, and we were talking about this the other day, the, um, one of the examples I brought up was the Joker. The Joker changes from writer to writer to writer to writer. There are versions of the Joker that is more than happy to stand back and let his henchmen do the work. And there are versions of Joker where he is going to go up and hoof Batman in the front butt and he's fine with that. It always changes depending on the writer. Right.
0: So to bring it back to the point, Charles Adams didn't write them to be any particular culture. He wrote them to be obscenely wealthy at a time when the stock market was crashing and there was this huge divide between extremely wealthy and extremely poor. And he was basically saying one of the narratives in that is that it is not normal to be wealthy. It is abnormal abnormal. to be wealthy. You know, and he you get that idea that we talked about on the Halloween special with the haunted house and that particular look of that house where there's this unfettered wealth that can't afford the house that they live in. And so they're falling into these shambles. And he again is pointing that out there, The Adams has only appeared in 13 cartoons. Holy crap, really? Only about 13 cartoons. I'm, the number may be off there, but it's not huge. No, because, hang
1: on, hang on. Just to preface for some people that might not get what you mean by that. You mean the cartoons in the New Yorker magazine? In the magazine. New Yorker. Okay. The
0: New Yorker magazine, the comic strip. Um, but They were an ongoing thing. But he would have other things where he's basically um, lambasting, lampooning society at the time.
1: Well, and that's what the Adams Family at their core does.
0: Well, the Adams Family at their core are weird people they're yeah. creepy they're kooky mysterious and spooky they're all together ooky the,
1: the adams family.
0: family and so the thing of it is once we start trying to peg them into certain holes i think we start diluting what they're supposed to be about now again i want to make this clear art in the adams family i have no problem with the fact that that writer wrote gomez ancestry to be castilian yeah H- hispanic i have no problem with that I have no problem with Raul Julia playing Gomez Adams. No problem with it. None. This isn't about race. I have no problem with Jenna Ortega playing Wednesday because she's beautiful. She's wonderful. She did a marvelous job. She's. she's I cannot she, sing
1: that girl's praises enough. She
0: is so Wednesday. I have a problem with Louise Guzman because he's Louise Guzman.
1: I have been saying it the entire time. I thought he was wrong for the role.
0: And it, you know when you watch it, it gets proven Uh because there is no other than him resembling Charles Adams's original illustration. There is nothing about him that says
1: Gomez. No. And here, here's the thing with me. Now I do like Louise Guzman. I like him in what he has done. I like, I've enjoyed him. Um, the, the role he played opposite William H. Macy in shameless. I can't remember the character's name, but really, really good stuff um waiting like anything he's done has been really good but he also skews towards a certain type and gomez is not that type yeah and and and
0: to that point there was when we're first introduced to them they're taking wednesday to nevermore now one of the reasons they're taking wednesday to nevermore is because she is a problem child okay there's mistake number one Gomez and Morticia would have not a single problem with anything that Wednesday has done.
1: No! The, the, okay, Wednesday drops the prawns in the pool. The first thing Gomez would say, did they eat enough? Yeah! <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah.
0: they wouldn't have a single problem but they do have a problem because Wednesday's been kicked out of something like seven schools or whatever
1: eight schools in five years
0: yeah so but they wouldn't have a problem with that because again folks if you want to talk about canon let's go back to the sitcom they barely send the kids to school yeah in fact I think it might even be the pilot episode I'm not sure a truant officer comes and says why aren't the the Adams kids in school
1: I always assumed that it was—I mean, mind you, Grandmama's not a entity in this show—but I always assumed it was Grandmama that was teaching Wednesday and Pugsley.
0: They have private tutors, and yeah. and, and we they can see, afford them. And we see that in um, in the Adams Family movie, where Morticia's talking about Wednesday's dreams to to go into to uh, you know enslave a minister like her great aunt Copernica or something like that, and you know the and. and uh, when, when Morticia's looking for a job, uh, she says, "What what's your background? And she says something like spells and hexes. And the, the, the employment uh, counselor's like, liberal arts. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, this is what I'm getting at. If... Canon, again, at the whim of the writers. How did Gomez and Morticia meet? It wasn't at Nevermore. In the movies, again, the movies, they say, we met at, uh, I think it was Gomez's cousin's funeral or something like that. And she said, you were still a suspect.
1: <laughs> so let's talk about Canon at the whim of the writers for this show. At never never at any point has Wednesday or her mother been psychic.
0: Never have Wednesday and her mother been at those kind of odds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, like they, they're sitting there in this room uh, doing a wonderful job of acting with, with uh, Gwendolyn Christie as Principal Weems talking about all of these things. And they're like, "Oh, see. And they're sort of defending Wednesday, but at the same time it's like, oh, we have a problem. No, they, they, Adamses would not have a problem at all. None whatsoever. No. So,
1: um, yeah. Like I, I said, did the piranhas get enough to eat?
0: Yeah. So Louise Guzman, unfortunately, not my choice. Never was my choice. Um, and and it's kind of sad that the the male Adams characters get a little bit kind of un Adams like because here, here's another problem I have. Pugsley, I have watched Pugsley from going to being like in the in the comics. I shouldn't say comics. I should say cartoon strip. Yeah. There is this cartoon strip. Morticia's there. Wednesday's there. She's looking very sad. And uh, Pugsley is in the back. He's got that scowl on his face that he always has. And Morticia, the the joke of it, Morticia just sits there and says, well, you just go back in there and tell him you'll poison him right back. So we go from Pugsley being an older brother. Yeah. Tormenting his younger sister to in the sitcom, Pugsley's still older, but the kids are playing together just fine, to the movies where now Wednesday's in charge and she's torturing uh, Pugsley. And so the point I'm getting at is this is the wimpiest version of Pugsley I have seen. We've gone from Pugsley being this strong person that steals uh, street signs and stop signs and blows things up and is is in, in enthralled with his great uncle Fester's
1: uh, bombs and everything else. And I mean to be fair, out in the great un- uncle Fester thing, that sounds like my teenagehood. But <laughs> no, I, I, I get what you mean because Pugsley Pugsley has always been, for lack of a better term, a bit of a sadomasochist. Yeah. He, he enjoys inflicting pain he enjoys taking it which is very similar yeah, to his again, dad yeah again in the
0: movie it's like what, "What children what are you doing and, and once says I'm going to electrocute Pugsley and Morticia's like no and then you hear Pugsley please
1: yeah <laughs> yeah like that's the thing is like Pugsley is a little hellion he's reserved but he's a little hellion hell this is coming off of the back of those those um, animated ones with Oscar Isaac who would have been a better choice than Louise Guzman <laughs> um and um you even in that cartoon Pugsley is very very prominent. Pugsley and, gets restored to being Pugsley. Yeah. Pugsley and it's not just that. Pugsley has that story arc where he's trying to get respect from the family by doing that dancing with the sword. Yeah. Um and he he grows the mustache, but then eventually he just wants to be Pugsley. Yeah. And that—that's—I don't know. I'm—I wasn't too keen on Pugsley in this, so.
0: Yeah, but see, uh, again, we've got all these different. Well, he's was hardly there, so. Yeah. But I mean, that's because it's supposed to be about Wednesday. So here's the problem. This series looks good. Yeah. It's well acted overall. Overall, yeah. It's richly designed. It's got all kinds of great imagery. There is a scene where she, uh, Wednesday, is playing the cello. Yeah. Outside of her room, outside of her an idiot's room. There's a scene where she basically, she and Thing blow up the town square, you know, and she just plays the cello while it's happening. There is the goo goo muck dance. There is all this stuff that is just wonderful, except it's this. Nick, I'm giving you this beautiful Christmas present. It is wrapped gorgeously with this black wrapping and the satin ribbon, and it's Tim Burton-esque and it's beautiful. And every I can't help but sell this enough to you. And then you open it up, and you go, "Wow, that looks good," and the box is empty.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So let's talk about that for a second. Uh, Miller and Go Inc., the product, one of the production companies behind this. Miller and Go? Miller and Go, Goff, whatever, I don't know. Um, These guys are writers behind a ton of CW shows. A bunch of them. And that is what this felt like. It felt like a CW show with a tiny, tiny Tim Burton twist.
0: Yeah, you know what it feels like to me? You know when you have those toys... So there's this, this toy, and it's, let's say it's a Marvel toy. It's a Spider-Man toy, right? I know all about that, yeah. And then you go to the 99-cent like store in the States or the dollar store here, and, and you have uh, Arachnid Boy with amazing web powers, and you recognize that it's supposed to be Spider-Man, but you know it isn't Spider-Man. It's some knockoff Spider-Man. So again, I would love to take Jenna Ortega and put her in a script that makes a little bit more sense because here's what doesn't make sense to me as a longtime Adams family. They are the outsiders. Yeah. Yes, Charles Adams did a cartoon where the guy uh, about a werewolf and all this kind of stuff. So having those kind of things in the Adams family world, not a stretch, but this is like, Oh, are we still trying to recapture the Harry Potter magic by putting her into this magic school? And if she's if they're sending her there because she will fit in there, why does she not fit in there?
1: Well, that's exactly the point. Like Wednesday is so, so different. She doesn't even fit in with the outcast, but let's talk about the Harry Potter thing for a second. When you go out into the quad or as Wednesday points out, it's a pentagram. Um, it looks like the quad from Harry Potter. Yeah. It looks exactly like it. Well, never more.
0: Uh, well, they're still trying to capture that. But uh, th- th- this is the thing. Even her mannerisms. Uh, no, not mannerisms. Her, her personality. Mm-hmm. Wednesday has always been sardonic. Yes. She will always take you down. Yep. Granted. Jenna Ortega. Oh, amazing. Going back to the movies, Christina Ricci We're introduced to to her ne- nemesis, Amanda Buckman, as a Girl Scout. I'll buy a lemonade if you buy a Girl Scout cookie. As they made with real lemons, Wednesday. Are the Girl Scout cookies made with real Girl Scouts? That's Wednesday. Yeah. And Amanda doesn't know what to do with that, and off she goes. The next time we see Amanda Buckman, who is just this phony, baloney rich girl
1: yep.
0: at the summer camp and Adam's Family Values. And they're doing their swimming lessons. And she says, I'll play the victim. And Wednesday says, for the rest of your life. <laughs> we, we all root for Wednesday because that is what we want to say to people like that that are so full of themselves. Yeah. We want to take them down a peg. We root for the Adamses because the Adamses are unabashedly everything we want to say about other people but in this in Wednesday she's just mean and she's mean to thing
1: yeah she was really mean to thing let's let me just mention that for a second i was uh, somebody posted some behind the scene fi- uh, pictures of the guy that was playing thing the positions that poor guy had to get himself into he deserves an Emmy for that alone <laughs> he's got he's got like the blue the blue screen arm on he's like slid under a desk and his arms yeah. are like all over oh man you know I, I i even
0: like the design of them but i mean the, the thing is that there is a meanness to her that isn't that wasn't there before wednesday's not mean <sighs> wednesday is blunt wednesday is is uh, she'll cut you but she's not mean she has a sense of justice
1: I think part of that is she's now a teenager. And as we all know, teen- teenagers are kind of a-holes. Um. <laughs> yeah, okay, but not to this extent. I it it loses
0: it loses a little something now this is in the writing because here's the problem what what these guys are doing you pointed it out you hit the nail on the head they're trying to do like another CW so they're trying to do Riverdale they're trying to do Harry Potter they're trying to do it's just another
1: YAWB show Too much of the same, too much of something at once. It's not, it doesn't work.
0: And it was predictable. I sat there and I said, Oh, as soon as I, I I know we've already done the spoiler alert, but I I hesitate to even tell the ending, but I mean, I'm sorry. I knew, I knew for a fact, as soon as, as Christina Ricci was cast, I went, yeah, I know the ending of this.
1: Oh, see, like for me, it wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the fact that she was cast. I thought she'd just pop up now and then but for me it was when we saw the monster i sat there and went uh-huh okay
0: oh i i was as i kept watching it i was like i i know where this is going i know ex- it's predictable i know exactly where it's going well
1: during the second episode they keep going on about how chris uh, how her, christina ricci's teacher character is a normie she's a normie she's a normie uh, okay you, you doth protest a little too much there guys
0: yeah well and the, the normie and the outcast thing all that the thing is it, it got so old after a while you know like well, I mean, like- but again, it's, these are how these things are written where you have this, this precocious child. Cause I mean, teenagers are still children. Yeah, You have this precocious child who <laughs> is sitting there and telling the, the uh, sheriff what to do and how to do his job. And, you know, it's always the same thing. It's like, you're this close to being expelled. One more screw up and you're out of here. And it's just all that kind of dialogue that it's like, it's not terribly original. It's not terribly. It's like somebody wanted to do a show like that, but they had to put an Adams family skin on it in order to sell it.
1: It was tantamount to fan fiction.
0: Yes. It, yes, it felt fan fiction. I will give you that good fan fiction. Fair, but you know.
1: Well, and that's the, that's kind of the thing. Let's let's go back to the psychic powers. That is exactly someone who is writing fan fiction would pop in there. Now, I don't mean to insult any fan fiction writers. There are some lovely ones out there, um, but there are people that just do it as will post a story as wish fulfillment, and there it is. Yeah, um, Fred Armiston plays Fester. Oh God.
0: Now I <laughs> again. I have, I, I delve so deeply into the Adams Family. At no point do I ever recall, maybe I'm wrong, I'll have to look into it, where Fester and Thing do these capers together of robbing banks, and not that he did it in the show, but it's, he's, he's basically a wanted criminal when he shows up. Yay! Because he's been rocking over banks and things like that. The Addamses are independently wealthy.
1: Well, he's doing it for the
0: thrill. He's doing it because it makes no sense, and they needed—they yeah, needed, know. They needed know. a reason to bring Fester into it. I know. Let me talk about Fester for a minute. The okay. history of the Adams family. So, cartoons, uh, comic strip. We don't know who they are. First characters that appear in a, in the Addams family comic strips as we know are lurch and morticia right they don't have names at this point they're just whatever um charles adams chooses the names he chose the name gomez because it literally means the man Mm -hmm. and he liked how it sounded there were other options yeah okay so that's why he chose it has no other input into the the sitcom um again we, we went over all that canon so i've watched fester go from being their great uncle, because he's supposed to be Morticia's uncle. Fester frump. He's supposed to be her uncle. So he goes from, from being their great uncle to being their uncle, Gomez's brother. Not even, uh, not even from Morticia's side of the family. He's, he's he's Gomez Adams. Fine. Whatever. New, new canon. And now we've seen him go from being just the, the weirdest of the weird of the Adams family. Mm Mm-hmm. To being a criminal.
1: Yeah, this is a guy that would stick a piece of dynamite where the sun doesn't shine and blow himself up he for fun. He has half
0: the Adam's fortune. Half of it is his. Yeah. He doesn't need to rob a bank.
1: No. They are independently wealthy. They're weird because of it. And why, why is he doing this?
0: Yeah. The other point, small point, minor point, Wednesday would have taken Bianca in that fencing match she has been fencing since she was in the crib
1: yeah literally literally um so i i I agree with that there are a lot of there are a lot of choices they made in this show that i don't agree with there are a lot of choices that they made in the show that i agree with now the
0: reason i'm hammering on this because at the end of the day it's enjoyable yeah it it is if you're gonna watch it you're gonna enjoy it but the reason i'm hammering on it is because none of this feels particularly tim burton-ish Yep. None of it feels particularly Adam's family-ish. Yep. None of it feels particularly outside of a teen drama, which is really...
1: A dime a dozen?
0: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. A, like, I'm sorry, if we're going to look at the, the one aspect, and I don't want to get into this, I mean, because, you know, it's the girl empowerment and all that kind of stuff, and Raw, I am for it, but the better series is Sabrina, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, also on Netflix.
1: I'm not going to disagree with that at all. Um, here's the thing. I'm As we've basically pointed out, Adam's family evolves. And I am okay with it evolving. So am I. But for it to evolve into a box where nobody can touch it, that's a whole other problem for me. And I look at the Adam's family throughout the years. Um you grew up on the original cartoon. I grew up in the movies. There's a whole generation of Zoomers who have grown up on the new Adams Family. Yeah. That's their first introduction. Uh, yeah, they I, love it.
0: My first introduction was the comic strip. You yeah. know, I could get them from the library. It was weird. It was wonderful. It was great. From that was the Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah. You know, and then Scooby-Doo meets the Addams Family.
1: You that's know, a thing. That's a
0: thing. There was a series called the Scooby-Doo movies and they had mama Cass and Sandy Duncan and the three stooges, whatever cartoon that the uh, Josie and the Pussycats. Like it, it Sometimes it was a real celebrity. Some Sonny and Cher, even sometimes it was they a, met everybody. Yeah, Sometimes it was a real celebrity that they would meet. And sometimes it was um, also from the, the lexicon of Hanna Barbera cartoons. Yeah. So Scooby-Doo and the Adams family had an adventure. Um, and then we go in from there. It's been sort of a dry spell. You're not hearing much about the Adams family at all. Um, and then we get the movies. Yes, and the movies gives this wonderful rebirth to it. And from the movies, we now had there was a new TV spinoff. There was uh, the, the new Adams Family, which yeah. went back to being more like the sitcom. Yeah. Um. There was Adams Family Reunion, which outside of having Tim Curry in it was terrible. And they just revamped all of that again. So, uh, to our point, you go from a Puerto Rican actor to a British actor. Yeah. Um, And it was just, that that was just god-awful. But what was weird about that is that because they made Grandmama Morticia's mother, and then they brought in Grandma and Grandpa Adams, which was just, like, again, the whim of the writer, right?
1: Well, look look at the play that you were in as Gomez Adams. Yeah. Um, They made fun of that. Yeah. Oh, I thought she was your mother. Yeah. Like that. Like,
0: yeah. My mother. I thought she was your mother. Yeah. And then then Morticia tells Pugsley, stay away from that old lady. We're not even sure she's a member of the family. (laughs) And she's been there forever. Uh, But but see, the twist. But see, there again, the writers of the Broadway musical changed the ages. So Wednesday is about 18, and that she's met uh, uh, this boy, normal boy, and wants to get married. And Pugsley's still a kid.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So, uh, well, I mean, they had to do that kind of dynamic somewhere in order to make it make sense. Yeah. But that's what I mean. It's like, again, canon at the whim of the writers. So let's not worry about who's playing what or what uh, nationality or anything they are. Because, again, my point, Adamses have been around since the dawn of time being weird. And just being that outsider in society and... And making us question society and, and and what is normal and what isn't normal. And yes, it can be an allegory for immigrants. But the better one is the Munsters because they actually are immigrants. Yes, yeah. You know, they they are an actual immigrant family coming from Transylvania who are colored moving into a white bread neighborhood literally. in the 1960s.
1: Yeah, literally colored because one of them is green,
0: one of them blue, one of them pink. Um, so that that to me is a much better thing because nobody ever questions
1: the Adamses
0: in the original sitcom other than those kooks
1: <laughs> yeah um just, just to wrap it up I I'm excited to see where they could go with a second season. I will watch a second season but that's Basically, I think Jenna Ortega is brilliant. I would watch her read this. You the know what?
0: They're, they're going to do a second book. season. Absolutely going to do a second season. Now, yes, I was hard on this. I of was, course you were. I was nitpicky on this. Um, and and I've said some things that I want to make clear. Uh, we're not against it. Yeah. We're not against it. That's just the conversation that's out there. To, and I was trying to explain it to put it. To put it in a certain perspective
1: in August when that new animated nin- Seth Rogen's new animated Ninja Turtles movie comes out, I am going to be super hard on that.
0: Well, but the thing of it is, it's not that I don't like it. You are going to enjoy this this
1: series there's something to enjoy about it absolutely it's
0: it's marvelous in a way it's it's great to see jenna ortega make wednesday her own knock it out of the park it's wonderful to watch uh katherine zeta jones in, in this guest starring role as morticia it's th- there's a richness to the the sets they did so much with uh, with a small budget i mean it's netflix money as people are saying but even as such that is still not big hollywood I love, extreme money. i love
1: the dorm room
0: oh yeah I, that is I, just beautiful there's a lot to love about it but there's also a lot to love about ice cream but you can't eat it every day and everybody has their own favorite flavor
1: yeah that's a really good way of putting it
0: you know um, so I think people are going to love this they already they already
1: do yeah love there are it. a lot of people that really love this yeah. and
0: I, I'm i one of them although it doesn't sound like it but I really am because I that that dance scene is everything to me <laughs> I mean, just even the choice of the music that they did, you know, the, the song that they chose, the Goo Goo Muck. I'm just, I, I have re-watched that scene.
1: It's mesmerizing what she does. I have
0: re-watched it, I don't know how many times, and I, I don't even know how she does it. And as I'm re-watching Wednesday for the second time now, I honestly don't know how Jenna Ortega does it. I want to reiterate again, though, I like the fact that there is some Latina representation and it's good for for that culture to see that representation. Okay? There's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. I want people to understand that. But I also want them to understand the history of it. And I also want people to understand that you shouldn't put things in boxes because you limit wonderful things happening. Because, but, but in the same regard, in the same regard, if we had limited it to them being, say, a different, not being Latina, we never would have had Jenna Ortega's wonderful performance. If, that's
1: the thing is, like, if we had limited to the limited limited them to being middle European descending, it would have been pretty, eh, it would have been pretty milk toast. Yeah,
0: I just think that the the Adams family. I mean, we're we're coming up like we're not far away from their 100th. We can't be. No, like it was the thirties, right?
1: Yeah. 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 That's coming up.
0: Like I, I'm looking forward to it. I love the Adams family. I will always love the Adams family. I love the fact that I'm a small part of the Adams family. I am an Adams (laughs) in, in some way, in some way we are all Adamses.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really it is everyone latches. I, I think at some point in their life, Everyone in some way feels like an outcast. And that's why so many people latch on to the Addams family is because we can relate to it.
0: And that was kind of the thing that didn't work about this is that Wednesday being an outsider amongst outsiders. That was so forced.
1: Yeah. I hate that.
0: And there was a lot of other narratives in there that I'm not going to get into that were forced.
1: This is my last thing. I think the trials and tribulations of Wednesday Addams at Nancy Reagan High... Would have been the better story. Yes, yes, absolutely the better. Rather story.
0: Rather than putting her into Nevermore. Yeah, but you know that's where they wanted the supernatural thing to happen. I know, right? so, I know,
1: I get that, but well, that's what I think the better story. I, would well, have been. I
0: think at the end of the day, when you take something, let's let's do this comparison. When you take something like the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and you're putting a, 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 a twist on that, the, yeah. the feminist feminist gaze, it works yes this i don't think they knew what they were really going for
1: yeah it kind of felt like that
0: and so it doesn't work yeah so anyway uh aliens that is all the time that we have for this episode of area 51 and a half hopefully you will join us in two weeks when we are back here at lockwood books for the christmas season at 488 talbot street st thomas ontario where you can get all kinds of great wonderful used books and don't forget
1: to uh duck the cat of course and i just want to mention that our next episode will be legitimately live we will have our chat room open and we'll be going live from the bookstore nick remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us you can find us on twitter tiktok instagram and now hive at the area 51h and of course you can search us on facebook by looking for Area 51 and a half, do not forget to follow, like, subscribe, and share us with your friends and enemies.
0: Thank you for landing your spacecraft with us here at Area 51 and a half, and we will see you again in two weeks.